Amen. You may be seated as you're taking your seats this morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Samuel, or 1 Samuel. Today, we are at chapter 7. 1 Samuel, chapter 7. Let's begin at verse 3. And give your attention to the reading of God's holy is powerful, is infallible, and is an errant word. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the ashtoreth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered as Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Don't cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel. He built there an altar to the Lord. The Word of God for the people of God. Well, an introduction about introductions. To let you in on a little secret, introductions for Pastor Lee are some of the last things that come uh, in writing and drafting a sermon. Sometimes those introductions don't come until Sunday morning. And sometimes, like today, they don't come at all, other than to simply say... We need this story. I need this story. We need this text. So let's dive in. Let's dig in. Let's, let's go to this wonderful story. 
And as we do, there are three things that stand out to me. There are three things that I see. I see a people that is Israel. I see a priest that's Samuel. And I see a place halfway between Mizpah and Shen. People, a priest, and a place. First, a people. What sort of people are the Israelites? Well, if you don't know by now, after some of my sermons and after Pastor Jim's sermon last week, let me let you in on a little secret. The Israelites were sinners. They were a compromised people. And we see it's not just that their leaders were compromised. It wasn't just that they had these wicked, terrible leaders like Hophni and Phinehas and their indulgent father, Eli. Yes, those were wicked men. But it was the people themselves. They were. They were a compromised, evil people. They were superstitious, right? As we saw a few weeks ago. They gave in to rabbit foot theology of thinking that they could somehow manipulate the Almighty by carrying out His throne, carrying out the Ark and the Covenant to the battlefield, and He would do what they wanted Him to do. They were superstitious. They were also sloppy. And by sloppy, I mean they were sloppy in regards to their calling. Israel was called to be a set-apart, holy nation unto the Lord to bear witness testimony to the surrounding nations that Yahweh the Lord was the true God, the only God, the Lord of lords and King of kings. Well, the Israelites were sloppy at their calling. They, as Pastor Jim no doubt pointed out, when the ark comes back through the sort of superstitious plan of the Philistines, what do the Israelites do? They slaughter the cows. They don't slaughter bulls, they slaughter cows. Not their bulls, not their cows, the Philistines' cows. They're sloppy in how they were to go about doing offering and how they were to go about obeying the law. They were also ham-fisted into peering into the ark, treating it as something unholy or just a curiosity's sake. They were sloppy. In all this, they were... They were failing totally in being a witness to the Philistines. I mean, it seems like as you read these passages, the Philistines are always looking, always looking, always looking, always watching, always watching. And they were. And they were watching Israel. And what did Israel show them? They showed them, really, themselves. They didn't show them anything different. They showed them Sinners. They were superstitious. They were sloppy. They were also syncretistic. That is, as they are living in the land of promise, instead of being different from the Canaanites, instead of driving out the Canaanites, they take on Canaanite practices, don't they? They're being told to to put away the Baals and Ashtoreth. That must mean that they what? had taken them in. They had adopted the ways of the wicked Canaanites. Not only did they fail to drive them out, they began to mimic the Canaanites. And they began to mimic the Canaanites and the Canaanites' sex-charged idolatry. The Baal was a, a male god. 
He was, uh, to, to, to the Canaanites, he was the God of the storm. That's interesting that God would thunder. No, Baal's not the God of the storm. Yahweh, the Lord, is the God over all things, including the storm. But the Canaanites had this male God, the God of the storm, the God of rain, the God of thunder, and they had female gods. And, and you wanted the two to come together so that rain would fall upon the land so that the land would be fertile. And the way the Canaanites went about it was they just kind of blended sanctuary and brothel. Male prostitutes and female prostitutes. And the Israelites looked at that and said, sign me up. They join in. Superstitious, sloppy, synchronistic. So modern. So familiar. I don't know about y'all, but I, I, I get a sense of I'm, I'm looking at, into a mirror. Have you ever failed to bear faithful testimony before a watching world? Have you ever failed in living out a peculiarly holy, set-apart life of holiness? Not looking down your nose, but seeking to be different in accordance with God's will. Have you ever failed to do that before a watching world? And brothers and sisters, we have a watching world. They're watching us. They're watching you. Have you ever failed? Have you ever failed to offer testimony verbally and and telling of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ when you're given opportunity? We were in the elevator at a parking deck yesterday in Asheville. And we go in, and there's a, a, at least a man one time, and I didn't think about it at the time, but then we leave the elevator, and I think I didn't say anything to that man. How many times have we just been silent? Have you ever given in to sexual idolatry? You said, no, 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 I, Pastor Lee, I've never been to a brothel. Good. But according to most of the statistics that you read, and we've been seeing this for years, there's little appreciable difference between the sexual mores of professing Christians and the sexual mores of our secular, unbelieving neighbors. You know it's true. Today, we don't even have a category in the church for fornication. It's just something you just don't talk about. You just anticipate it happening. Even among our people. I've, I've seen studies and reports of when they have Christian conventions. Conventions, say, even for pastors. At a convention hall with motels. If you were to check and see how many of those rooms accessed things that shouldn't be accessed by professing Christian ministers at night, you would be shocked. 
Well, maybe you wouldn't be. Ever tried to manipulate God? Oh, Lord, if you'll just answer this prayer, I'll do X, Y, and Z. The godly Scottish minister, Robert Murray McShane, who died just shy of his 30th birthday, amazing man, famously said, the greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. Now that's a wonderful quote and it's a terrifying quote for pastors. But it's in keeping with what the Apostle Paul told Timothy. Uh, Paul told Timothy, keep a close watch on your life and doctrine. Persist in this, for so by doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a close watch on your life. Yet even such a famous statement that many pastors, I think, rightly feel burdened by, but also feel as a, this is an ideal that, that, that I should uh, uh, aspire to. We can, because we're so twisted and tainted by sin, we can twist that around, and we can twist it around along these lines. Lord, I will pursue holiness. But let sister so-and-so see that so that she stops being such a negative Nancy. I'm just telling on myself or others. You you see, I I fear you, and I know I am, more compromised than we like to admit. When we read of these ancient Israelites, I fear we're looking into a mirror more than we would like to admit. But dear ones, it's not all bad news. There's good news here. Not only were they compromised, yes they were, but also, gratefully, they were still God's covenant people. They were covenantal. Graciously, the Lord God had dealt with their wicked and evil leadership via the Philistines, right? Now, after many years, God graciously, the Lord of the covenant, deals with His covenant people. And you see God's dealing, His stirrings of grace within them. What do you see? What do we see here? Verse 2. Verse 2. Last part of it. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. They're missing the presence of the Lord. Verse 3, you see, stirrings of repentance. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord, he was seeing some stirring. If you are returning from, uh, to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. They are returning to the Lord and He's encouraging that. 
And then what do they do when he has told them that? When the voice of the Lord speaking through Samuel tells them that, what do they do? They obeyed the Lord, did they not? They obey him. So the people of Israel put away their Baals and Ashtoreth. And they serve the Lord only. Then they enact their repentance publicly. It's not just that they were saying it in their heart, which is good, they should have. But it was public sin. And they repent publicly. They pour out water. That's a strange sort of thing. They pour out water and they fast. I think both of those things showing that they're not going to trust in themselves anymore. They're not going to trust in their own means of taking care of themselves. They've got to trust in the Lord. They verbally and publicly confess their sin. But here's the most encouraging thing I see that they did. Notice verse 8. Verse 8, this is when the threat of the Philistines is, is on them. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, and notice the pronouns used, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Brothers and sisters, see what they're doing. They are crying out unto the Lord. Now they are no longer assuming or presuming upon his grace. They're no longer rubbing the rabbit's foot, expecting to manipulate God into doing what they want. No, they are desperate. And in their desperation and being pushed into a corner by God's kind and wonderful providence, they in their desperation say, we will not trust in ourselves, we will trust in the Lord. And they cry out, Samuel, pray, keep on praying for us. Sometimes the best thing that can ever happen to us is to be pushed into a corner to a place where we say, there's nothing I can do. I should have turned to the only one originally, the only one who can answer. Now I will. The psalmist says some trust in horses and chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What we see is a a great revival, as the choir was singing, a, a great awakening. God sent awakening. God sent stirrings of grace. But why did he have to send such a revival? Because they were sinful. They were broken. They were disobedient. They were in a sorrowful, sinful state. They lacked holiness, and he would not abandon his covenant promises to his covenant people. So he sends grace. He sends revival. He sends awakening. Now, brothers and sisters, many people pine for revival. That's all they want. The Lord sends revival, sends revival, sends revival. We so often need revival, but brothers and sisters, when we need revival, what's that saying about us? We are disobedient. We're not living as we should. We, we, we are not seeking and pursuing holiness. What we really need is faithful, consistent, constant faithfulness in the pursuit of holiness. 
What we need is the regular faithful ministry of the church. That we might be a people who are in the constant state of repentance, faith, trust, following. That's the people. Quickly, a priest. The pause button that's been on Samuel's story since chapter 4 has been released. In steps Samuel. The presence of Samuel had given hope in the dark days of Hophni, Phinehas, and Eli. Now the presence of Samuel brings leadership. The leadership that's needed to lead God's people into God-given victory. Notice some of the things that he does. First off the bat, he preaches. He's a preacher. And he's got a preaching ministry that's direct. Get rid of the bales and the asterisks. Repent. He's no Joel Osteen, okay? He's in their face. He tells them like it is. Your sinners, get rid of this idolatry. Remember what sort of idolatry it is. And he speaks directly to it. He's one who, as a good priest, sacrifices. Verse 9. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering unto the Lord. He preaches, he sacrifices, he intercedes. Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. He teaches. That's what he's doing in verse 12. That's what he's doing in setting up the monument called Ebenezer. He's teaching them. What's he teaching them? He's teaching them. What's he say? Till now, the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer means rock of help or stone of help or God helps. But notice what he says. Till now, the Lord has helped us. It's a short lesson, but it is loaded. Till now, the Lord has helped us. He's telling them by that, know your history. Study history. Know what the Lord has done in your life. Know what the Lord has done in Christians' lives. Know what the Lord has done in the history of the church. Till now, He has helped us. He's telling them too, the till now includes, don't you remember them getting defeated by the Philistines? The till now tells them that they shouldn't acknowledge dark providence is help. Dark providence is help. The Lord had defeated, yes, actually the Lord, through the Philistines had defeated the Israelites. Was that a blessing for the Israelites? Absolutely, because in their defeat, who did they lose? That wicked leadership, was that defeat a blessing to the people of God? Absolutely, because it drove them where? To here, to repentance. That's the way God's providence works. And third, till now, the Lord has helped us. Taught them never to presume. Till now. But never presume upon that mercy. 
And last thing I see that Samuel did, he administered justice. He judged Israel all the days of his life, verse 15. Hmm. Preached, offered sacrifice, interceded, taught, administers justice. Who's he sound like? Jesus Christ. Behold in shadow form your Savior. Quickly, lastly, a place. Verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. Halfway between Mizpah and Shen. And he named it Ebenezer. Meaning, as we've said, stone of help or our God will help. But why Ebenezer? Well, obviously, yes, because God had just helped them, right? He had just delivered them from the Philistines. But also because that was the name of the place where they had been defeated by the Philistines. Go back to chapter 4 and you'll see that the Israelites were camped at a place called Ebenezer where they were then subsequently what? Defeated and routed. What had looked like a loss had actually been gain. The place of seeming defeat is in the hands of our God what? Place of help of blessing, of great victory if we turn to Him. And where is the seemingly greatest battlefield of defeat? Bull Run, no. Battlefields during World War II, no. Pearl Harbor? No. Where's the greatest battlefield of seeming defeat? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. The battlefield of the cross where it looks like Jesus had been defeated was actually what? The great place of victory, of help. For in having His 
head or his heel bruised, what is Jesus doing on the cross but crushing the head of Satan and all forces of evil? Where is our Ebenezer? Our Ebenezer is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your hymnal and turn to number 457. We're about to sing these words, but hear them. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of God's unchanging love. Here. Where? Where's the here? Verse 2. Where's the here? The mount, right? Here. I raise my Ebenezer, my, my monument to tell me that my help is from God. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Where was that blood? shed for you at the cross, our Ebenezer. Let us make our monument there. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, may we sing, sing of Ebenezer. May we sing of the cross being the place of victory. May we sing of the precious blood the Lord Jesus Christ shed on our behalf. May we sing of our great teacher, our great preacher, our great priest, our great king. May we sing the praises of Jesus Christ because we are prone to wonder, O Lord, prone to leave you. Keep us and keep us near the cross. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.